Welcome to Critics on a Bus, your favourite film review podcast, with me, your host, Cameron. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a new episode of Critics on a Bus. Today we have a a new person in the hot seat, a new guest critic or bus passenger, wherever you want to, whatever kind of way you want to say it. We have my good friend Jacob Smith. Hello, Jacob. Hi. Hi, Cameron. Hi. Hello, hello. Listeners. It's a pleasure to be here as a as a fan of the podcast. Yes, you are one of our avid listeners, so it's fantastic to have you on today. And so, as always, we're going to be reviewing a movie. So, Jacob, what movie are we reviewing today? Today it's uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm. This uh, film was released on the 3rd of September, and as of recording, it is uh, past 100 million dollars in its domestic release and uh, 170 million worldwide the director of it destined daniel cretton this is his first marvel movie he has done some other works before but uh nothing as high profile as this the the main characters we have simu lu as uh, shang chi the lead character um also known as sean share Features as one of the points in the film. You might know him from Kim's Convenience if you've ever seen that TV show. But this is again his first major role. We have Tony Lung as the Mandarin, as and uh, Aquafina as Katie, his friend. Also, recently she was in Crazy Rich Asians, which I think most people would know her from. And uh, a, an acting de- debut from Menge Zhang as Charling, uh, which is. Uh, Shang-Chi's sister. There's a lot more actors and uh, actresses in it. Uh, I know some were kept under wraps and not really mentioned, but maybe I'll just mention that part after we get into the meat of the film. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. So, Shang-Chi and, or Shang, Shang-Chi, um, and The Legend of the Ten Rings is the latest Marvel movie, introducing us to our probably, let's be real, our newest Avenger. That's, that's probably where it's headed. And it follows the the family behind the Ten Rings. Um, the Ten Rings, of course, being the first Marvel villains we actually ever meet all the way back in Iron Man. And it's a bit of a classic story of um, evil father, not so evil children. Uh, they go on their own way and they come back to take on their father as he is on another quest for power, for world-ending domination, as most bad guys do. So this is a this is our origin story. This is our origin story of Shang Chi and his connections, his um, fight with and against the Ten Rings, his training, and we see a lot about um, his whole life and the setting up of that whole kind of New Avenger style existence. Um, and we see some familiar faces popping up throughout from other Marvel movies. So, yeah, it's a really, really simple, really kind of clear cut origin stories, just a basic introduction of some brand new characters for us to dig our teeth into. So, yeah, it's it's really good. I was just going to say I did enjoy some of those uh, cameos and seeing some of the characters we already knew. Yeah. It was really fun. It was really kind of, it felt very, it felt very like part of the world, part of the universe, you know, it just, people just living with those kind of events day to day. Do you have your um, fun fact for Shang-Chi for us, Jacob? I do have a fun fact. Not only one fun fact, but two fun facts. Ooh. Um, The first, I think, might be 
well known to anyone who's kind of followed the making of this film, but it's the fact that the main character, the lead, Simu Liu, he tweeted in December 2018, uh, basically saying, so at Marvel, when are you going to cast me as Shang-Chi? Then a year later when he uh, was announced as the role, he got to relive that glorious moment of, uh, I guess, becoming part of the Marvel Universe, which he was a fan of, and then being a as well the first uh, Asian American lead so uh, I just found that interesting in terms Mm -hmm. of him reaching out to Marvel and uh, yeah Kevin Feige has said that he didn't actually see that original tweet and he got the role purely based on his uh, acting skills but I just thought it was something nice. That's disappointing I was about about to about to open a Twitter account and uh, start hashtagging Marvel for some roles that's sad. (laughs) Yeah and the other thing which um, just I found interesting really is that the first English line isn't spoken until 10 minutes into the film. Uh, yeah, I think that's something as well that, at least for me personally, I've uh, been noticing a lot more kind of subtitles coming into uh, Western films and filmmakers not being afraid to kind of have the real languages being spoken. It's good. I, I hope it is the real languages. You often get that kind of trope that they put subtitles in. But what the actors are saying is nothing like the subtitles. So as long as as long as they haven't fallen for that old trick. Cool. Well, thank you for your fun facts. They were indeed fun. <laughs> I, I, I to please. <laughs> you did well. You did well. So I think we should just get into the review, shouldn't we? We should just start talking about the movie. Yeah. From now on, there is there is we're not holding anything back. There is spoilers in here. So if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. If you have. Or if you don't care about spoilers, then keep listening. We, we are going to talk about everything. So first of all, we've got to start very simply with the plot, with the, with the story itself. <clears throat> this is a basic origin story and a world building story as well. Um, we, we learn a bit more about, I say the Mandarin, but he doesn't go by the Mandarin, does he, in in his life? No, he goes by Shu uh, Wenwu. Shu Wenwu. And a mortal villain who's been around for thousands of years, many people's lifetimes, endued with the power of ten magical rings. Five on each arm that allow him to do undisclosed things. <laughs> I think it's, it's probably the best yeah, thing he can do. I think maybe one of the things that I uh, either wasn't listening correctly or, or maybe they didn't go into depth on is the origin of those rings but i think it does mention quite early on that he acquired them or stole them or found them but not necessarily the the creation of them and i know uh, that's something that comes into play a little later or or maybe in, in future films yeah yeah we don't know where the rings come from where the origin are and it's one of the things that's discussed by our big cameos of um wong bruce banner and Captain Marvel. Yeah, so their origins might be explored further. And they're, they're definitely opening up the mystical side of the Marvel Universe now. You know, I think this is going to be a very magic, mystical orientated phase. And the Ten Rings fits that. Yeah, definitely. I think something uh, that I potentially liked about this and also Doctor Strange is kind of that blending of the mystical and you know, reality. So whether that's Armitage in Doctor Strange uh, learning some magical arts, or whether it's in this film going to you know a different world, as it were, and having some of the artifacts and some of the magic creatures, I suppose, that come along with that. Yeah, this this film is a is an interesting blend of I don't, I don't know what to describe it because you know when we we learn a bit more about the 
the history of Wang Wu and in, in his movement into domination, I guess a Genghis Khan type of of dictator and, and leader, and then his foray into family life. <laughs> I thought it was very funny during one of in the opening ten minutes. We we follow his crusades. And he has a he has a fight uh, a mysterious woman he finds in you know the the magical forest and it's a, one of the first things I noticed that that's when they use the old kung fu movie style influences in the film so very kind of yeah, the, house of tiger flying dragon crouching tiger hidden crouching dragon. tiger that's the one you're looking for <laughs> yeah very very crouching tiger hidden dragon and you know the, the way that they kind of move and and fight across the space but then there was those like cuts where they kind of looked romantically at each other while fighting <laughs> yeah that was that was uh, really funny and kind of also i suppose uh, led on to the humanizing of wen wu as mm. a character you know even though he is pretty evil and power hungry um it is those times when he's uh, with his wife and kids that you know the, the human aspect of him comes through and he's not just you know pure evil or pure good he, throughout the film you are kind of questioning what are his motives and his next moves going to be yeah so there was there was that i think we should continue that that thread there and keep talking about i i liked how influential or how much they went with you know the the asian style filmmaking the the fights and the some of the mysticism to me felt very maybe very stereotypical of asian films well yeah i think the uh, director has said that he took lo- lots of inspiration from uh, i think crouching tiger hidden dragon was mentioned a lot of the kung fu films and and even specifically jackie chan i noticed uh, talking about fighting scenes there's one standout scene other than you know at the beginning yeah that we just spoke about there's a standout scene on the bus where they really go full in onto this kung fu style of fighting where you're just using your surroundings obviously it's an enclosed area on a bus you have shang chi or or sean at that moment he has his jacket he has maybe a laptop of someone typing away on the bus and he just uses all these elements around him to fight off the the bad guy Um, and i just I found it fascinating. Like I, I'd almost always rather see hand-to-hand combat and kind of creative fighting as opposed to just bigger guns and explosions, which yeah. do have their place. Yeah, but I and I agree. I think that that bus scene, which I mean, it's it's huge in the trailers, and I'm surprised it. I was almost surprised it happened so early on in the movie. They didn't really focus too much on Sean version of Shang Chi. They gave you maybe 10, 20 minutes of him being a, a valet and then moved on to fighting let's go china <laughs> um basically what happened and and but that scene was interesting very claustrophobic uh, but i gotta say what a terrible bus driver because when he knocked himself out a scene later he was sitting behind the bus driving seat in like a panic and didn't try and regain control of his bus i was just like well, that's a terrible bus driver isn't it <laughs> i didn't i didn't notice that you've uh Got keen eye for details. Yeah, he was. He was. He'd even though he'd been on the floor, he got up and like strapped himself in basically really quickly to um the seats and just left um Katie to try and stop the bus any way that she could. Yeah, but uh, it is interesting that you mentioned the trailer. Actually, I hadn't seen a trailer for this film before going in, um. So that scene was was new to me, um. But interesting that you say they focused a bit more on 
uh, Shang-Chi rather than Sean, where, whereas I found, you know, the first kind of half of the film when he's finding his feet and, you know, they're traveling the world, him and Katie, to find his sister and exploring that world, the real world, um, I found probably more uh, interesting than the latter half. And I enjoyed the entire film. I'll say that there. Boiling what rating I'd give it. But I enjoyed the whole film. But yeah, I was really surprised by that opening half. Lots of funny bits, lots of character building between uh, Sean and Katie. The film actually, I think, is quite was quite grand. It's quite big. If you consider what it what it covered and what it did as an origin story, it did a lot of different origins. It, it established the Ten Rings and kind of where they were it established shang chi um that he was just a master assassin from from age of you know seven to he was trained and trained and trained to be this um, fighting machine it established these weird other is it a realm is talo a different realm is it part of earth i don't quite know i think they did mention at some point it was a another dimension another dimension um they did they did go through some form of portal water yeah. portal to get there <laughs> yeah who knows? Uh, who, who knows and it's just really interesting that the, they have the ability now to expand the world through this through the plot i mean this plot is you know establishing new soul-sucking villains and dragons and pokemon <laughs> For lack of a better word, I know it, they're not Pokemon, but Nine Tails definitely made it into this movie. We've definitely both looked at each other in the cinema and said Nine Tails. Yeah. But I think I've read somewhere then that it's actually like a traditional animal in like mytho- Asian mythology, but it's Nine Tails. Let's be real. Um, also, maybe the same mythology influenced Pokemon that influenced. I mean, probably this. did. But I, the film moves at, I think, quite a rapid pace once you get out of the the prelogue you know the the kind of um the mother telling the child the story and you move into the actual story it doesn't kind of it doesn't wait around it moves pretty fast in getting to where it needs to go like i said you spend a, a little bit of time in san francisco before you're on a plane and then you're in china straight away you're at the location where his sister is and he gets into a fight in the the black market fighting ring no explanation to why wong is fighting abomination and then they just leave together. I don't know. Is that some sort of therapy? It's not. It, it's not touched on. I, I just. I. I'm like that's abomination, and it just disappears. Bye. And like. And the fact that they're almost like uh, he's almost mentoring him. I feel like he says yeah. something like, "Oh, next time, do this. Do this a bit, a bit different." You know. Yeah. I just I think if you think about even from that standpoint, there, this film does work a little bit in ton of blurring those lines of right and wrong a little bit abomination of as as some of you may know is the villain from the incredible hulk movie which is technically an mcu film but technically not at the same time it's kind of iffy as to it's one of those ones that it's the only one that you can miss out if you're doing a marathon if you want <laughs> but you know wong is working with a villain in therapy through a a black a dark web ran black market fighting organization and throughout the film there's that kind of that theme of blurred lines whether things are right or wrong because you learn a little bit more about the mandarin gave up his life as a villainous dictator and all-conquering powerful man immortal being to be with the woman that he fell in love with who left her realm 
to be with him, but their lives caught up with them, and they got and and now part of what he's doing and like his story is that he wants to be with her again, and he's receiving visions and things from her, and he wants to free her. And so, like, his motives aren't necessarily bad. Yes, but you definitely get the sense, even though you know his motives are bad, that this just isn't right. And definitely the, the main characters also feel the same way. And until they realise what's what's happening with the kind of fake visions and things like that, even before you hear about that, do you get the feeling that something here isn't right about the way he's going about this? Yeah. I mean, he's not a good guy. He literally sent assassins to try and kill his kids just to get a pendant, basically. Uh, it's a pretty extreme response. Just, you know, what's up them in the future. But so, you know, he, he isn't he's very clearly <laughs> not a bad. He is very clearly a bad guy. But there's there's times that you feel his ultimate motives in the film aren't evil. And so there's that kind of like blurred morality. Yeah, he's almost blinded by love. And blinded yeah. by his uh, desire to get his wife back, that he's not really thinking rationally, and will go to any lengths to see her again, which includes, you know, not really respecting his children, <laughs> and uh, yeah, doing all kinds of things, throwing them in prison, get, getting them to, well, not prison, but confinement, and sending guys in masks to come and uh, attack them. That's one character I would have uh, actually liked to see a bit more from you know the masked fighter who was uh part of the ten rings oh yeah the, the like second in command sort of person yeah i feel like he was gonna i don't know become a, a bigger part or uh, some big reveal was going to be made about him but uh just yeah. ended up being a really skilled fighter maybe that's something hardcore marvel fans know more about well, i also think that was kind of a little bit of a red herring i think it's also an issue i think they're kind of trying to do reshape this film almost works in a way of reshaping the marvel audience so we're so used to dissecting these films and dissecting everything in the mcu for a hidden meaning an easter egg a story something this this has to be it means something maybe um creating that iconic look of a of a character you know very distinctive from everyone else in the ten rings clearly has a has a history even though i thought my i felt myself going is it the mom? Like before we saw her die, I was like, is it? Yes, like, sir. Is it? Is it someone that we know that's gonna go like, wow, surprise! It's me. I've been here all along. But the fact that they had that character kind of drawing us in to want to dissect it and look for something, and then towards in the climax of the film, they died. I think is is an interesting way to almost reshape us as an audience and go, look, stop looking for meaning in everything and just accept. Sometimes we just got cool characters and then they're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely one way to see it. And I think also with the uh, guy with the one arm, the bladed arm, mm. him as well, just kind of going on from secondary characters he was also someone that you know we don't really know anything about again maybe somewhere deep in the marvel lore there's a story behind him but it's just uh him some of the people when they go to tarlo and they see uh you know family members and, and people like that we don't learn a lot about them but they do become you know quite uh, crucial to the plot later on yeah i mean we learn that the story does focus heavily on our five main characters sean and katie maybe four are obviously quite main characters 
Shaolin. Shaolin, the yeah. sister. She's she had I guess I, I was kind of surprised at the the scope of her role in the film. I thought she'd kind of be like an in and out sort of person. Um, but she stuck around for the whole thing. I was quite surprised by that. And then of course the main villain of the show. And the story really does focus heavily on them and because it's I guess ultimately like their family story, isn't it? It's about it's about them as a family and, and their connections to the Ten Rings. And so yeah, the the film does really well in, on focusing on those. Doesn't necessarily, I feel, do them massive justice in terms of character development. Katie's there. She's there for wisecracking. Funny wisecracking. <laughs> yeah, she's good. She is funny, but she that's kind of... It feels a little bit like that's just her place just to be the comedic sidekick. Shang-Chi, titular character. A little bit emotionless for me. I think he was a bit... We didn't see enough of him and i'm hoping that they are able to expand on that in the future shaoling well she obviously has her own ambitions and plans by the the second um after credit scene where she clearly is not shutting down the operations of the ten rings but (laughs) um taking them on i actually quite liked that because she says when one of the times you first meet her katie asked her why did you do this and she's like well if i can't have my father's king empire I'll, i'll build my own and so I like that that kind of that thread of her character remained the same by the end, that she she was ultimately flawed. And that's where, again, you had that kind of weird morality shift of she fought for the good guys and for the dragon and to take on her father. But for bad reasons, it was to take over. And she's now lying to her own brother about um, what she's doing. And so, that, again, you had that kind of moral ambiguity there where she fought for good, but were her motives true? Where, like, her dad, for example, was the opposite. And I guess in the end, both sides of the the human world come together as well, you know? They kind of put aside their good and bad side to uh, realise that they've got these soul-sucking bats, demons, uh, coming to attack them. And and I like what you said about, you know, the main story focusing essentially on the, the main family. And I think, for me, probably one of the cons of the film is because there was so much to build up with Tarlo and introducing all these new characters and even the human characters that, I think potentially the significance of, you know, the the protector, the dragon protector and the evilness of the soul suckers was maybe not, at least to me, it didn't come through as much. It came through maybe in one or two flashbacks, which were one or two minutes each. But um, that was something that I think towards the end was, you know, the final battle. And I don't know, maybe I didn't expect it to be that. I thought it was just going to be a face off between this family. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see the soul sucking interdimensional bat demons coming. That was that was a right like left field swing when that was a thing, and I'm still not entirely sure what I make of it. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what I was kind of. That's what I was just thinking now, just trying to articulate it. Like, were they were they made out to be as evil as they really were? Were they just not given enough screen time for us to? think of them as a real threat i don't know what i what i think about them either. yeah because it kind of then it kind of shifted the focus away from it being like the mandarin fight to safety for our souls and i get the point was it it they tried to redeem the mandarin i mean it's, he's not called the mandarin but they tried to redeem it the, the the very dying moments of his life for example was when he gave up the rings for his to his son but that's a tenuous grasp at redemption because he still fought him until like literally the very until the big one 
burst out of the cave or the portal he was fighting him it's a little bit too little too late in terms of redemption i'm not sure if it'd be better if they focused on they continued to focus on the family feud rather than just launching this bizarre bizarre it's like the next next level of the villain came in towards the end yeah and it, it became this semi-faceless entity kind of like the kind of like the chitari you know in avengers even though loki was the the villain the one they tried to stop this horde of faceless enemies came through the portal and that's what they focus a lot of the fight on but they but what avengers did right and shang chi didn't is they, they still managed to focus on loki as the main villain and pulled it back to him through the very end but in this case the main villain died so quickly that they then focused so much on this faceless horde that it, it felt a little comical I, I don't maybe comical is not the right word it just felt a bit i don't know I think to me it just felt less grounded than the rest of it, like less relatable. Yeah. You know, but but like I said, that's pretty much the uh, the main gripe I had with the film, just the sudden next level of villain seemingly coming out of nowhere. I know it wasn't really out of nowhere. It was alluded to, but uh, it was something I definitely didn't see. Yeah, that that's throwing me a little bit. I just I I still don't know how to properly get over that. <laughs> But we made it through. I got to I got to mention one last point of the airbending skills, the, the obvious avatar links to to, yes. to some of these characters as well. I also noticed the uh, Dragon Ball Z links. Yes. Seems with the uh, Kamehameha. Yeah, I le- legitimately at one point when he was building his fireball, I was in my I, I, I my breath going Kame. Because it felt so Dragon Ball Z, it was really... And I guess that's the point, they are trying to... They're drawing from... But they're drawing from well-known media sources from from the East and so... But it, at times it was a little too on the nose, a little too obvious, Um, I felt, you know. Especially because they made his rings, like, glow orange and then he <laughs> gave them into a ball and launched them. It was a bit like, oh, come on, that's just a bit too, bit too obvious. Yeah, that's, that's funny funny looking back but I, I think yeah in the moment it didn't completely take me out of it. it it did do the thing of just kind of reminding me that oh yeah this is a, a bit similar to Dragon Ball Z and then kind of kept me in the film but there was a lot more areas of the film where which I actually did find funny that you know that that didn't take me out of it being funny in itself though we can't we can't not talk about characters and talk about maybe the biggest addition to the movie, and that is um, so Ben Kingsley's return as Trevor Slattery. Definitely, definitely. I didn't. I left him out at the beginning of the characters. I mean, mm-hmm. not that it's a massive uh, spoiler, but I do know a lot of people weren't aware that he was uh, returning. I think they tried to keep it under wraps, but it, I think it was announced as well. But yeah. Loved some of the comic relief he provided. What was it, Morris? Maurice? Morris, yeah. Yeah, Morris. Uh, his lovable, faceless, winged <laughs> dog, whatever it was. <laughs> One of my favourite favorite parts was uh, his little speech about Planet of the Apes. Yes. His excellent part. Him just saying that was the reason he got into acting. And he didn't even understand what was going on. Because if the monkeys can act, so can I. <laughs> It was yeah, that was great. Yeah, it, it was really. I didn't expect Trevor Slattery to reappear 
And yeah, I mean, credit to Ben Kingsley. He manages to play that crazy oaf that you just kind of can't help but be on the same side of, but also going to go, you're so stupid at the same time. And kind of in almost disbelief. But I know he managed it. And yeah, it was a really interesting return for him. I didn't didn't think he would return with. I'd never thought he would. He seems quite snobbish. So I'm surprised he came back to this role. But, you know, kudos to him for doing that. Yeah, he does do a lot of serious roles. And uh, yeah, I was scared for a little moment that him, you know, being Trevor Slattery as opposed to, you know, in the previous films in in, in Iron Man 3 when he was mostly acting as the Mandarin and not as, you know, a comical character. I was worried for a second that it might be too much, but I think they just towed the line perfectly with, you know, it didn't become suddenly pure comedy and all the seriousness of the film went out the window, but it did provide comedy. And like I was saying, Aquafina as well, the entire time. There's a couple of uh, ad-libs. Well, I don't know if they were ad-libs, but a couple of uh, scenes, you know, on the plane. Yeah, the the, with... the, the plane food. Yes. Yeah. And and the, talking about the changing of his name from Sean to Sean. <laughs> she was like, hmm, great move there. That's like changing my name from Michael yeah. to Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I definitely found. Yeah, I found it was a good level of humour, and I think Marvel, you know, over the years, have made that a staple really of most of their films. A good level of humour that doesn't detract from you know multi-dimensional beings and the epicness of some of these films' scales. I think it's a realistic level of humour. If you have a really funny friend, they're kind of that funny all the time, and so they play that of a, okay, this is what my funny friend would say, and so that's kind of how they keep it. And I like that they didn't that Katie became a bit of a she got involved. She wasn't just the comedy sidekick for the sake of comedy sidekick. She she stuck by Sean, and then she cued the training montage video sort of thing. Got involved in Talo and picked up a bow and arrow, and really got involved and and did the work in a very stressful situation i'm not sure about you i don't think i could just fly to china and then you know a few days they you know get kidnapped by a warlord and then join go into a different dimension shoot arrows fight a massive soul-sucking dragon thing and just and then deliver that one shot that yeah went into the neck and distracted the demon long enough to to gain control again you know all hinged on that one hour. All hinged on that, yeah. So you you got to you got to. It's nice that they gave Katie that kind of scope, and she wasn't just there as the comic relief. She was a bit a bit of a hero in her own right, which was good. I was going to say the only other scene that for me I was going to touch on was um, I think the final scene actually in the restaurant when they're then you know coming back talking to their uh, couple friends around the table and just saying. Oh, this is what we did. This, you know, we went to, like what you just said. We went to China. We fought these things. We did this thing, and uh, yeah, I just thought that was a really cool way to end it, especially with Wong coming in and beckoning them to uh, take it to the next level. Mm. I find it interesting as well. This is post Blip, so this is after Endgame as well. That the couple were were so dismissive of their adventure. It's like, oh, you're making fun of me now. I get that, you know, that might be their relationship, whatever, you know, it could be that they do make fun of her. And so, yes, that could genuinely be a thing. But if they had persisted on that line, I'm not sure her friend would have ever believed Shang and Katie. And it's like, after all the things that have happened, after Thanos wiped half the universe out, you really can't believe that they fought a, fought with a dragon against some, you know, souls-looking demons. Like, 
you've seen worse <laughs> after you know uh, spider-man you didn't know it but you and you thought it, it was just holograms but you thought you were seeing elemental beings pop up from the world and start smashing things and so yeah it's really interesting that still the human race is even in, even in a post-blip society oh sorry what was that you said the human race was still won't believe things until they see them even in a post-blip society so that's just quickly touch on the music for this film i saw you at some points bopping along to some of the tunes in the cinema yeah i mean um there wasn't any that i can particularly remember because i think there was music solidly throughout quite a lot of the film so it wasn't like oh i remember this particular scene had a particular song but i think the soundtrack was yeah bopping bopping as you said um it was you know contemporary and uh, kind of fit with shang chi who well sean who's kind of you know a modern guy living in a well a modern world and also a mystical world it was very very hip-hop very kind of urban in terms of you know it it kind of fit the theme of kind of that whole kind of hip-hop vibe except for of course hotel california which as we know is the great tool in war um, just blurting out Hotel California at any point. Um, so I'm using that. F- I'm putting that in my in my quiver. <laughs> Next time I'm in a situation, oh, yeah. blurt out Hotel California. Completely forgot about. Yeah. No, no necessarily standout songs. So you know, if you consider um, Black Widow, for example, there was the kind of smell like your smell. Is it smell like your teen? Remake like remake. There was like there were some like songs either re recorded or remade specifically for Black Widow that really fit kind of the whole vibe. Suicide Squad had a very particular kind of album. There was no, I mean, I, the music of Shang Chi, the the actual songs used were not my massive vibe. I'm much more of a rock alternative sort of listener, and so Shang Chi's with its hip hop and its techno dance. I'm sorry, like a real dad here, don't I? I'm not knowing the words. <laughs> But that kind of theme of me, that style of music is not really my vibe. So it's not something that I would actually connect to. But knowing that's what works really well in the East, I'm assuming that, you know, that will really connect with the that them as an audience. Yeah, I, I, I'd feel similar. And also, you know, the the, the actual soundtrack, the, the score itself, very classical Asian style music with the the gongs and all the different kind of instruments there it, it felt it felt really classical really kung fu you know eastern kind of film vibe yeah. behind the whole thing they have a very clear theme of that kind of music in the background yeah those moments when the leaves are swelling around them and they're doing the very deliberate gestures and things like that it's uh, yeah, completely reminiscent of what you'd expect almost almost ethereal ethereal almost ethereal of it great i think we've covered a lot of the film to be honest yeah i think kind of gone through the plot the characters the humor the music yeah. the, the difficulty in reviewing this film is that as an origin story it's massive there's so much happening that it is really difficult to to pin down a few just a few things because there there is a lot going on but uh, but the film moves so fast that difficult to keep track of sometimes and that's the thing about getting into it a little bit deeper is that you know i remember walking out the cinema and thinking yeah that was a great film and then when i'm talking about it there's certain points that you know i re-remember and think that was excellent and then there's certain points that i think oh when i think about it that didn't make as much sense so uh but definitely my overriding feeling was 
they managed it well. All the different things, all the origins, like you said, the, the scope of the film is managed well. I didn't come out completely confused. Yeah, I, I do think it was a little bit, maybe a little bit underdeveloped in general in terms of a character, but it might. Oh, I just think I think it, I think the film got unsettled by the soul sucking demons, and that that robbed them a little bit of a of a good solid development. It's it's like the trope in you know in most recent Batman movies or any kind of Warner Brother produced. Um, event that they try and throw as many bad guys in as possible to make it a real like tough decision and tough fight but sometimes just drawing it back to a simple singular focus really helps like hone in that kind of idea and so i think adding a second interdimensional villain might have taken us a little bit away from solid character development for for everyone involved but i guess marvel also have the option to build in many other films and cameos in disney plus shows etc so they can always expand on that character i mean look what loki is now for example <laughs> so definitely maybe this is one for the for the future to to grow and develop and we do know the ten rings will return the ten, the ten rings will return which i think is an interesting um an interesting line to take because i mean like i said in the opening the ten rings have existed through the whole of the MCU, they were the the face behind, or the the symbols and the group behind the abduction of Tony Stark at the very beginning. Um, it was a branch of the Ten Rings, and so it will be interesting to see how that organization develops throughout this kind of next stage of the MCU and why it's become so prevalent. Um, is it the new Hydra? Maybe. Who knows. Who knows? Who knows what's going on in Phase Four? Who knows? Maybe that's yeah. why they maybe that's why they had to introduce those self-sucking demons in this film. Yeah, maybe maybe that'll become maybe it'll make sense in ten years. All right, so Jacob, do you want to give us your score and tell us why? My score for this film, I'd say out of ten, seven point five. I don't know how that compares to the scale you're usually on. I'm I'm uh, usually not ranking super highly unless it was like completely mind blowing, life changing film. But I'd say this is a solid, good film, origin story, and uh, perfect level of humour for me. So that's where seven point five comes from in my head. Great. I mean, it's it's exactly you know it's it's all up to you to decide how good it is. For me, I and genuinely, I'm also giving it a seven point five. <laughs> I was going to give it an eight to begin with at the very beginning of this episode, but I changed my mind as we, as our discussion made me realise how weird the <laughs> the um, soul-sucking demons were and, and how much of a, a random thing that was. So yeah, that that kind of whole kind of mix of storylines dropped it. But overall, I think it is a really good Marvel movie, really strong origin story. It's Though it's a little too big, a little too bigger picture than it needs to be. It it was a bit too grand, I think, for an origin and loses focus a little bit. But overall, I I thought it was really well done. I really, I really, 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 really liked the Eastern influence that it, it it held throughout the film. I just I just liked that you could clearly see that it was influenced by those movies such as Crouching Tiger and other things. And I really appreciated that from them um so yeah yeah it was eight but yeah the the left field change of villain i think 
dropped it down. I mean, I feel like I feel a bit harsh now. I feel like maybe I probably would give it if I as soon as I'd walked out of the cinema, I probably would have given it like an 8.5. Because when I think about, you know, all the Marvel films, I'd say it was definitely up there. But I don't know, maybe this just tells me I shouldn't analyse things in too much detail. <laughs> maybe I'll go in the middle of those then. I'll, set, I'll, I'll re-give that rating and give it an 8 in between what I felt when I first came out and now that I've talked about it for an hour. <laughs> so you're, going, an you're going for 8. Yeah. Okay. Cool. There we have it. Your first your first official ranking as as an eight for Shang-Chi. I'm going to stick with 7.5 because I was going to go eight. I mean, I I did really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. Maybe it's a bit harsh. Sounds good. Hey, hey, so there we go. Fantastic. You've done your first episode. Thank you very much for coming along, Jacob. Hope you've had fun. Yeah, it's been great. Be good to hear. Well, Maybe it won't be good to hear my own voice, but <laughs> it'll be good to hear the podcast and uh, future episodes as well. Yeah. And uh, hopefully this inspires you to come back and return, take take more journeys on the critics on a bus. Um, yeah. So that's it for this episode. Please do like and share this episode on your favourite social media platform. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, but do like and share, do engage with us. It's, it's really important to us that you you give a like and you do share it so help us build our audience and thank you so much for listening and then we'll we will see you in the next one bye bye thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of critics on a bus don't forget to follow us on facebook and instagram for updates on more episodes and we'll see you in the next one